Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martini's Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about the trends and traditions of drinking in France. So, I have somebody uh, in the studio, well, remotely in the studio today, who I'm really excited to talk to. Uh, my friend Remy Savage is here with me, and he is somebody who I just have a ton of respect for when it comes to the cocktail world and the bar world. Um, I can't remember the first time I met him, but I guess it was when he was uh, managing at the Little Red Door, bar, uh, the cocktail bar here in Paris. Um, since then, he's gone on to sort of um, really revive the artesian in London. Um, he has done work with the Sandy Cat here. And um, and I guess he's now opening a new bar in London. So he's sort of, you know, on, on both sides of the water. And um, there's some very specific things I'd love to talk to him about, about conceptual bars, uh, because I think he's really had a hand in doing some really interesting things as far as that goes. So um, Remy, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to talk to you as always. And now, did I miss anything? I mean, I know that you've got tons of stuff going on, but did did I miss anything major in your little bio there that you want to share with the listeners that you've done in terms of cocktails or bars? No, I think it's pretty. Uh, it was pretty inclusive. Okay, great. Um, so when you started working at the Little Red Door, um, there was you know a, a kind of a, a, things evolved there. It was always a great bar. It was something that I really. It was a place I really enjoyed going. Um, but you really kind of developed this, uh, I guess, conceptual menu with the cocktails. Now, um, before I dive into the Little Red Bar one, first, I just want to talk about the idea of conceptual cocktail menus. And before we even talk about what they are, <laughs> I keep backtracking, sorry, but I, I, how do you feel about the word conceptual cocktail menu? Because, you know, sometimes people get really weird about words and and names and they don't want to be mixologists or they don't want to be foodies or they don't want to be doing molecular cocktails so just on a very basic level does conceptual cocktail menu does that speak to you or is that something we shouldn't be saying no i think it's i think it's absolutely fine i think as a, as a kind of as a starting rule i think you should be allowed to say anything when it comes to cocktails cocktails should be fun and the fact that you know it, it was always the idea that it doesn't matter how deep into the, that conceptual element you go the idea is always for people to have fun around them. I don't think anyone drinks cocktails to be serious. So I, I think as long as you keep that in mind and that you know cocktails must be playful, they must be they must be made for people to have a good time. You can call them whatever you want. I think it's not a yeah. I don't I don't have an issue with the, the word conceptual. Excellent. Well, you know I don't either, but sometimes people get sort of anyway. Um, so can you maybe <laughs> explain a little bit to the listeners what what a conceptual cocktail menu is? Well, I think for. Us, it, it's something I want to say that we we probably kind of started even at a at an international scale in uh, in Paris, and it was it was just coming out of really you know, I think it was kind of being selfish to a certain extent. Bars are always great, and I always felt they were a great platform to kind of you know, as they are places that tend to be fun and people tend to be relaxed. It's a great place to talk about anything you want, and and as a uh, as somebody that studied philosophy for five years and someone that was always in like you know, interested in that kind of element of research and understanding. Once you blend this with, with, you know, flavor and what you can give, it becomes a wonderful playground. So I guess that we just started all of our menus since 2013, maybe 14, 15. I'm sorry. Uh, this is all of this makes me feel old. And since 2015 was starting each year with the, uh, with the ambition of answering one question and, uh, you know, one of these big philosophical questions, kind of like, you know, is there a good, is there an evil? So we'll start with one of these big questions 
And then we just end up, you know, making drinks that try to answer them. So we went through, we went a lot on the idea of semantics, you know, the power of words. Can you understand, you know, flavors and more specifically cocktails through art? And that was super interesting because at the end, you know, as long as the object was fun and playful, the concept was understandable for the guest. It, it, it kind of worked. So I guess that's, that's what a, that's what a conceptual menu is, is using cocktail as a way to deliver a concept. Yeah, and what I actually really liked, especially the art one, is that the, this concept didn't just run through the idea of let's think about art and talk about art, but you actually engaged with local artists to create, if this is for listeners, this is for the Little Red Door um, menu, and to, to create art, then that art played against the cocktail and the cocktail played against the art. So it was sort of a full conceptual experience, not just the idea that we're thinking about a concept and we're just giving you this drink. So I think that that was really successful. Um, now, so you went through a few different conceptual menus at the Little Red Door. Where did your where did the inspirations come from for those? I think it's uh, that's always a very difficult question because you know in, you never know when inspiration or where it comes from. But it, I guess it's more I don't know. It's a, it's a very hard one because it's just that there's always if I could I would launch. 200 menus a year for each and every single kind of ID that I have. And, and it's usually, it's usually coming from the, you know, that point where you like, you are the restaurant and you're like, Oh, well, all the menus in the universe use words. Do we need words to understand flavor? And it's kind of like, you start with that little kind of seed of an ID. And then over the years or over the month, or over the weeks or the days, it kind of develops and turns into, okay, there's something really cool and interesting to do here. And I think that it's, you know, as, as philosophy is such a, you know, there's nothing doesn't consent philosophy. There's like endless possibility of keep on doing new things. And and inspiration usually comes from this, these little questions that, that seem really trivial and that everyone can like things that are very noticeable. And then you just like, okay, let's, let's explore, let's dive in. And so when you were developing the menus of the Little Red Door, I believe they took quite a bit of time. And I think that there was a lot of teamwork that went into that and sort of researching things outside of just the cocktails. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, of course. Well, I think the, the especially, I mean, at Little Red Door and at the Artesian is the, like, we've been, we've been doing kind of this in the sense that I was always terrified of the idea that someone that studied philosophy as well, probably better than me. Like, you know, I'm, I was always terrified that someone would come in and kind of call, call bluff on me. So the, the, mm -hmm. the amount of work that we had to do to be conceptually coherent and the amount of effort that we had to do in order to just, you know, feel like we were doing a good job that we didn't have to do it. And I think that it's super easy, especially when it comes to cocktail, to do, mm -hmm. to say, uh, oh, it's a big concept. And then when you dive in, you can see the cracks. It's not really well taught out conceptually. Um, so I think that we had to be very thorough in that conceptual element. And as well, the, there was also kind of logistics. You know, if we if we we had to interact with eleven artists for this particular menu, um, eleven artists, I need to I need to find them. I need to interact with them. I need to get them to taste the drinks and create a cocktail based on the taste. I need to print. You know, there's all of these little elements. But I think it's true that mostly and especially over the years, we did loads of menu that evolved around you know statistics and metaphysics and you know asking people exactly what something. All of these things they're very time consuming. It's a it's a long, it's a big chunk of work in order to have all that data and information to produce something that is, you know, bulletproof. You can't, you can't argue with a menu that is well thought out from a philosophical perspective, because that was always my big fear to, you know, to be made fun of by someone that was, that was better at me at philosophy. No, but I think that you, you've been successful with it. You know, as I was saying with the, with the art one, I think that it's really sort of this 
whole concept that sort of envelops the whole experience. It's not just this idea of this gimmicky thing and everything in the bar is going to be red. You know, it's, they, they've been well thought out um, in my opinion. And also I wonder how um, working on these menus, because they take time and they take this extra effort. How do you feel that that sort of affected the, the, the bar team? Did it um, bring you to sort of a different level of understanding each other or working together or, um, any, I don't know, takeaways from that? I think, I think it's, uh, I think it was brilliant for the team. I'm, I'm saying this probably as the team and they will, they will heavily disagree, but, uh, but I think that it works for, it works for some people and it doesn't work for other. And I've been very lucky in my career to have been, you know, working with a kind of a, a chunk of four, five, six people that have, that have been, that have trusted my direction when we talk, when it comes down to this menu and this concept and that have, you know, then then followed me to London and then went back to Paris with me or all of these. I think it's, I think it's great because it's not only talking about cocktails and I think cocktails are brilliant, but again, the second you see them as a platform to discuss other thing, it becomes fascinating. So I think it's just, it's just a mindset. Some people just want to talk about, you know, liquids, temperature, and this is something I can get very, very nerdy and geeky about as well. But I think that for the team to have, if we take the case of a, of that second menu at Little Red Door, which was evolving around architecture, it's very rare that you get the opportunity to work in a cocktail bar and get fully trained with like, you know, professors of architecture three hours, a, three hours a week for six months. You know, it's all that kind of additional knowledge that it's, I mean, no knowledge is useless and that's kind of it. So it's not looking just at the, at the cocktail and the liquid you're pouring, but it's looking at, you know, different topics and perhaps the entire experience. And I think it's, I, I, I think that people, I think that the team likes it. <laughs> I want to say mm-hmm. this. Well, I would guess that they do because after you left, I mean, their la- the latest cocktail there is still a very interesting conceptual menu. So your your kind of legacy carries on, right? They're still pursuing these really interesting uh, interesting concepts when it comes to creating a, a coherent drink menu. So I would say that speaks to to the team's impression of it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about. So you left Little Red Door and you went to the Artesian in London. It's a very nice hotel bar for listeners who are not familiar with it, but you know, it's one that had very regularly hit the the top of the list of the world's best 50 best bars and then had a bit of a quiet spell and then and then you started working there and I feel like it kind of revived things, not kind of, that it definitely turned things around. Um can you speak a little bit about your experience going from a small cocktail bar in Paris to a very large, um, well, not so large, but a very high-end hotel bar in London? And um, I guess kind of how you translated conceptual menus from Paris to that kind of environment in London. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a super interesting conversation because it kind of brings a, a different topic that is applicable to just life in general. But what, what happened at the Artesian was, um, it is much larger. There's, there's a team of 22 people at the Artesian and, you know, we had a team of six at Little Red Door. So it was, it was just going from a small operation where, you know, we were always, always, sorry, only open at night. Whereas the Artesian is a, a five star luxury hotel environment that opens at 11 in the morning and you're making tea, coffee, orange juice, club sandwiches. And then you have that like packed bar at night making cocktails. And I think especially with the, the kind of legacy the artisan had, it was always very, very popular for, you know, extravagant looking cocktails. You know, I don't want to say smoke, but that, that kind of like visual big elephant Lego cocktails. And that was really brilliant because it was super new at the time. And I think that what happened with the artisan was that once the team that envisioned this, this idea of the drinking experience left, 
the, the, the following team try to, try to do what they were doing. And I think that this brings up the conversation of either you do what you want to do or you do somebody else's job. But the truth is, if you start doing somebody else's job, you'll never be really talented at it. So we did, for me, it was super easy because I took my team from Paris. So at least, I mean, I took, they were kind enough to come with me. Uh, I took my ideas that I've never changed and will never change, which is again, to look at, to look at art and to question the, the idea of the drinking experience, but in a playful way, this is, this is me. I've not invented this. I've like, you know, it's just what I want to do. Um, and then we applied it. And of course there was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of mistakes. Um, the old team didn't react particularly well, or some, some people in the old team were a little bit, you know, not completely part of that vision I had because it's, it's kind of scary to change everything. But eventually I think that, you know, they did well and I'm super happy and proud that they are, you know, I love the guys there. I, I, I love the space, but it's also understanding, you know, there's, there's some people that I cut to work in hotels all their life. And I think I just, I just wasn't particularly good at it. It didn't mean I didn't, doesn't mean I didn't like it. I think I probably learned more there than ever. Yeah, well, and I would say also with Artesian, that's also a testament to your your work and your work with your team because I have been there well before, and also when you were there, and then also just after your departure. And you know, I think that you left behind a team that was very coherent and um, and really capable when it came to cocktails and and these really interesting cocktail menus. So, so I would say good work. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, um, so once you left the Artesian, you came back to France, and um, I think there were some projects in the works that maybe stalled a little bit because of COVID. Or can we talk about that? Or is that um, yeah. something that okay? So um, share maybe what plans for your return to Paris included. So in uh, so after I left the Artesian, as you said, I think I was I stayed there for two years, and it was part of my. It was part of my job interview that I would be there for two years. And I think that it was a good time to kind of leave a steady team. And then I had, you know, I always, I always envisioned very specific thing and all the effort that we put into menus, I always, the last thing I didn't do in my career was to open a vision. You know, once at Little Red Door, the bar already existed. I joined maybe six or eight months after the opening and I stayed there for four and a half, five years. One thing I couldn't change was the walls, the furniture, the, I could do little bits, but the entire vision of the bar was already like it was already there i didn't have a choice about this so i think the idea of opening a venue was super interesting to me to look at design to look at you know soundproofing to look at all the details that are going to make again the experience more complete and to have something that from the beginning to the end is going to be at the service of a of a of a conceptual statement but as well provide people with just you know good times so that was the idea in uh in um i never moved fully back to paris and i always see i always saw myself you know if you if you love two cities, why why choose? Obviously, this is in times where you could uh, where you could travel. But I did uh, I did uh, got approached by the syndicat. So it's a group of bars, the syndicat and both the syndicat and la commune are in Paris, um, and they are bars that I always loved because they always again were really uncompromising with their vision. And the syndicat is a is a bar that specializes in French spirit, and they only have French spirit. So there's no there's no bourbon, but there's going to be. 35 Calvadoses. There's no mezcal, there's no tequila, but you're going to have 200 weird orderlies. And at the same time, yeah. it's kind of... Sorry, please. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yes. Um, actually, we just had Giovanni from the Sandicat on the show. So so listeners ah, really? will be a little bit familiar. Yeah, um, I think, well, we'll play around with order on the airings, depending on when bars open. But uh, right before or right after, we'll be hearing from the Sandicat. So sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, no, it's fine. Uh, so I think that when uh, when Roman, the uh, the founder of the of the the bars, kind of called me and say, "Look, I want to talk to you about a project. 
really rapidly, I wanted to open, I wanted to open kind of a, uh, I wanted to open a dirty bistro uh, that, you know, served kind of the top cocktails, but had that very specific cultural element of, you know, in, in France, you get something really unique and it's that bistro feeling. The same way that you can't, mm-hmm. you can you can open as many Irish pubs as you want in France and put as many Irish people in there. It's just not going to be exactly an Irish pub in Ireland, right? There's just that that thing that happens, that energy. And I think that's one of the true unique drinking experiences for for people that visit France is this kind of bistro. There's a smell, there's a vibe, there's an atmosphere, and this is something I wanted to do. Then Roma approached me and he had this vision for a PMU. So again, the cheapest like a PMU is somewhere where you can, you know, bet on horses, sell somewhere that sells cigarettes and stamps and, you know, SIM cards. And at the same time, they serve, you know, a glass of wine for two euros, uh, a galopins, uh, half, half, half beer, um, all this kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it's kind of very, I, yeah, I loved it. So he kind of called me to, to, uh, to open this project. And at the same time, look after the, uh, the, the artistic direction of both the Sanica and La Commune. And sadly, this project has been delayed, obviously, because, it's it does it wouldn't make a lot of sense to open a bar there, um, but uh, but I've been I've been I've been able and lucky to work with Giovanni and the team at Le Syndicat, as well as Sarah and Bruno and the team at La Commune to kind of uh, redirect the the conceptual direction as well as the drinks and has been really uh, it's been really awesome. Yeah, I love that idea. You know, I really do think that um, the you know the. Immediate future of Paris cocktails or French cocktails is sort of looking inward and looking to its past. And so I think, you know, obviously we're way past the the period when, you know, it was sort of emulating a Brooklyn vibe and, you know, something from outside of France. So, you know, and not just like sort of the PMU level, but, you know, we're seeing places that are that are looking like really the sort of ornate high-end places or even some of like the really old, old school ca- um, cafes that are, you know, maybe not at a really high level of cocktails, but also stepping up their game. So I, I see a, sort of a, a reappreciation of, Fran- of France by France, if you see what I mean. So I think I love, love, love that idea of opening this little thing. And I hope that things turn around after COVID and maybe it's a project that can, you know, still be realized here in France. Um, yeah, yeah, I, don't want to, I don't want to let this project go. And I think as you, as you said, there's, there's a phase, right, where, where perhaps France and all, all the countries in the world, actually, they lack confidence. So they knew that they would get business and they would be coherent if they open a, a, a speakeasy, right? That prohibition era. Exactly. Ashield bartender and the later apron and the, the sleeve tattoos. I think it was ne- like kind of a necessary step in order to gain confidence. And there, it would be completely absurd to think that France doesn't have the cultural heritage, uh, nor the, the diversity of spirits and, you know, mixed drinks history, not to, not to kind of, you know, speak for its own. So I, I love this. I think you're completely right in seeing that like this first phase was necessary, but now friends can appreciate friends for what it is and bring that drinking experience and those flavors that are French in a, in a way that is, you know, authentic and, and not trying to emulate what they see, what they've seen elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, we're, well, we're really lucky here in France too, because when they are bringing in those flavors, I was talking to Giovanni, Giovanni about this is, you know, it, France is really lucky because there is such a great selection of, of local flavors and, you know, products to use and, and, um, and spirits. So, uh, so it's a good place to be if you want to sort of look inwards for inspiration. Um, now I want to talk about your other project, uh, that is not in France, but, um, you're not open yet, right? The your 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 own bar that's going to be opening or opened. I'm not sure. Can you tell me <laughs> some more detail? 
<laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure either. I think that we are we ready to open. We're just not legally allowed to open. So we we kind of waiting. It's a uh, it's a it's something. As I said, you know, it was probably the clever move not to the clever move not to open a bar during the pandemic. Well, we've we've done it anyway in in London because mm-hmm. we just we just didn't know when we were too far along in the project. But um, but yeah, we are not open. But we've been doing uh, you know getting ready and just waiting. So working on uh, working on everything else. And can you share with the listeners a little bit of the concept behind that? Sure. Well, I think that uh, I think that as I said before, you know, it was kind of fun to be able to dive into the you know conceptual menus, what we refer to as conceptual menus. So all of these, all of these, um, this kind of object and selection of drinks that we represent an ID. Uh, now, I like to think that we can take it one step, kind of one step deeper and actually open a space that is at the service of a conceptual message. And in this particular case, I think that what I would like to do for the rest of my, uh, of my little professional life is to actually open places that are dedicated to artistic ambitions. So I don't know if it makes a lot of sense, but I think that, you know, the reason why we appreciate today art that, um, the same way we did, you know, 150 years ago or 500 or 600 years ago is because there's, there still has, it still echoes in us. And I think that it's because we face the same, we face the same needs that you have when you need a piece of art. And I think that I see art at the service of a time and that problems are cyclical. So we all experience the same problems and therefore we all need answers to these problems that usually take the shape of art. Am I making any sense? I rarely do. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does. It does make sense. Um, it does. And I love that. I mean, you know, I'm kind of thinking as you're talking to me and, you know, thinking about these conceptual ideas and spaces and, and cocktail menus and, and thinking, um, I don't really know of any other uh, bars that I've been to that really take a conceptual um experience to the level that you do. And when we were talking about speakeasies, I kind of had a momentary thought that, hmm, I guess it's kind of a concept, but it's not really. It's an experience. It's sort of, it was at the time almost an immersive experience because you were going in and looking at people who were almost like in costumes of what it might have been like at the period and drinking what you might have been drinking at the time and, you know, and knocking on a door or saying a password. But it was all sort of a, um, not an act, but like just kind of play like play playtime for what it might have been like in romanticized prohibition times um but no i think that this is really fascinating that you're you're taking these you're taking this idea and like really running with it and 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 taking it to a fully immersive cons- concept not just let's kind of think of an idea or a period or a time and um and and do playtime with it if that makes any sense. So I guess what I'm saying is it does make sense. I think it's maybe also challenging for people to um sink into those ideas uh and and fully understand it, but I think that's what makes it a little bit more interesting as well. And it's what, you know, I I was thinking last time that this isn't your menu, but last time I was at the little red door for their last menu launch, um, it was the the one about flavor and flavor and taste and separating yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah, it was a really great menu. And, you know, I was there with, with um, several other cocktail friends who are, you know, also regular cocktail drinkers. And the interesting thing was it really gave us a, a, a lot of things to dialogue about and not just like in a way like, oh, this is interesting or, hey, that guy looks like he's, you know, from the old timey speakeasy. It was a really interesting opportunity to talk with my friends and drinking partners about if you really can separate these things or, you know, what what, what one means versus the other. So, so yeah, so I'm really excited. To, 
Thank you first. Thank you. I think it's exactly the goal. What you say is exactly what we want to create. But also I can hear, you know, sometimes you hear yourself talk and you're like, this sounds like the most pretentious thing anyone has ever done. <laughs> I think, no, it's, it's okay to you. Um, but this is what's important to us. Exactly. What you say is something so coherent is like that, that um, speak is easy. It's kind of like someone in disguise, right? They need to wear their right. sleeve holders, which no one has ever needed to wear. But it's that kind of like, it's exactly like a, you know, like a kid's party and you get a, a, a clown that pretends to be a clown or, you know, it's just, it's, it's pure imitation. Is that like historically vaguely accurate time that you're trying to reproduce in order to create an experience. But this has very much of, a, of an expiry date because the, you know, that novelty wears off. Whereas if you start and you create concepts that are, that are still alive today, it kind of, you know, conversations are never going to end. And at the same time, the idea is not to shove down the throat you know, the idea is not to create a museum. And I think that what we want to do is just to give ourselves a little bit of exercise. This first bar is going to be based on um, on Bauhaus as a as a vision. But again, our, our mindset was like, right, what happened in Bauhaus is an art school from Germany, and it's kind of considered to be the, uh, let's say, the, uh, the the grandfather or the, the grandmother of design. He created a lot of uh, he created a lot of um, a lot of novelty in terms of you know understanding of color shapes music photography ballet dancing it kind of touched all all areas of uh, of art and tried to and unify them put them together but of course it was a school so everybody disagrees we don't really know but what's interesting to us is, is of course he created um you know minimalism functionalism he, did, he created a lot of things to play with sadly uh 19 you know 1932 the school gets closed um by the nazis because they are very decadent and everything uh, and then what happens two of the guys actually move to london so our idea was like, right, what if they, what if we reopen the Bauhaus school, except instead of looking at, you know, instead of just looking at colors and shapes and metal and glass and wood, what if you had flavors as an elementary discipline of the art world? What if you had taste, you know, these basic things? So it's just kind of closing the circle on this. And this is just the premises of us opening the bar. Then it means that we can play with everything we want. And we just have this, uh, this kind of great, you know, background story and background inspiration to 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 bring something to life that that kind of follows this line and think it's super super interesting. So um, I'm speeding us along. Do you want to share a cocktail of the month with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the moment, especially because I'm in London, it was snowing yesterday and today is bright and sunny. It's kind of like a, the kind of drinks that is. It's actually a, a drink from the Sandica that I absolutely love, and it's based on an old traditional bistro drink called La Finalo. So traditionally, it's just cognac and water. Uh, what I would suggest is simply to use, um, let's say, 40 mils of cognac, maybe 15 mils of sugar, simple syrup, so equal parts water to sugar, and then either use, if you can, 20 mils of verjus, which is the juice of unripe grapes. You can find it in like specialty cooking stores, or, or 15 mils of lemon, and top it with sparkling water, and it's like the most pleasant kind of twist on that old-timey drink. Uh, but it's lovely, and especially if you want the, the sun to come out and you're kind of hoping for a nice summer where you're allowed to go out, I think it's a brilliant drink. I like the sound of that, and I am using Verju more and more. And for the listeners, I just actually wrote something about it on the blog if you want a little background. So um, I hate to like cut it short, but I'm going to say thank you, Remy. It's really always a pleasure to talk to you, and I wish we had more time to record. But um, but I can't wait until I can either see you in a bar here or see you in a bar in London um, because you know I, I'm missing your fabulous drinks. <laughs> you too kind again. Oh. Thank you so much for us.
All right. And so with that, I am going to say thanks to Remy. I will put links to any of his projects in the show notes. Thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Uh, thank you to Sun Little for the music that we use. Uh, I will put up links to anything that we've mentioned. Uh, I remind you, of course, to drink responsibly. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.